Good evening. Our top story tonight. In the last 48 hours, we've seen a round of what many are calling Jappi Papi diplomacy between two Punjabi prime ministers from both sides of the border. The big question, however, is can Indian diplomacy swing from it can't be business as usual to inviting Nawaz Sharif to India and receiving an invitation for our prime minister to visit? It's only just in a matter of months. The BJP has already questioned Prime Minister Manmohan Singh's invitation to Nawaz Sharif, saying it's premature at this time. I was at a public function which you were addressing with the minority leaders of uh, religious representatives of different minorities here. And you remember you looked at the Indian journalists, and you suddenly gave a peace mission, a peace message to India on the eve of elections, and you spoke about how you'd like to visit India if you were you were invited. So are you making a commitment? to a peace process that will make a break from the history of our two nations. Barka will have to pick up the threads from where we left in 1999. Yes. That was a historic moment. Uh, and I would like to uh, tread that path. Uh, there was an excellent uh, uh, you see, communication between the two prime ministers and we all agreed that we will have to solve we will solve all our problems through peaceful means, sitting across the table. And I think uh, this was unprecedented. We've got to bring that time back again, you see, and then um, uh, restart our journey from that point. So whether India invites me or not, I will visit India. <laughs> The man who will be Prime Minister of Pakistan for the third time was laughing when he made this comment in an NDTV interview, but was entirely serious about repairing a relationship he says a dictator has damaged, referring of course to General Parvez Musharraf's Kargil misadventure that erupted into war. After Sharif's statements to NDTV followed a chain reaction at an astonishing speed. His desire to visit India was recognized within hours and even before Sharif could formally be declared PM. In a congratulatory message, Manmohan Singh invited Nawaz Sharif to visit India at a mutually convenient date. Confident from bowling out Imran Khan, Nawaz Sharif, also a cricket lover, today had to field a tricky question about that. Asked whether he would invite Manmohan Singh to attend his oath-taking ceremony scheduled to take place a few days from now, Sharif said, it would be an honor to receive Manmohan Singh in Pakistan. He confirmed that he had extended an open invitation to the Prime Minister when they spoke over the weekend. The bonhomie between the two was busted, however, by a scathing attack from the BJP. Outside the political headquarters of Sharif's party in Lahore, the revelers are still there. Amid the song and the dance, they say their share is roaring for peace, for a new beginning. Though, of course, Kashmir is not forgotten. Mia Saab gave me an interview. He said that I commit that peace process will remain with India. And this was the Parvez Musharraf. Of course, of course, I'm angry. Because on that time, Mia Saab was in the program. इंडिया के साथ हमारा इतना महबूत होने का कोई हद नहीं दुनिया देखेगी खुदा के लिए ये कश्मीर का मसला हल करो जैसे भी होता निकालो उसको ये निकालो ताकि आम वो भी मर रहे हैं भूख से पाकिस्तान के मर रहे हैं इनको एक साथ बैठना चाहिए नहीं तो हम आम को इतना
The atmospherics are certainly dramatically different from just last week when tensions mounted over the death of Indian prisoner Sarabjit Singh and a tit-for-tat attack on a Pakistani prisoner Sanaullah. But so far, Nawaz Sharif has made all the right noises. He wants an investigation into the Kargil intrusions, maintaining that Musharraf kept him in the dark. And he is open to an investigation into the ISI's role in the Mumbai attacks after the David Headley testimony. But how far will the Pakistan security establishment let him go, especially after his assertion that the Prime Minister of Pakistan is the boss, not its army chief? You will restore, in a sense, the authority of the office of the Prime Minister. I think uh, this is what the constitution says very clearly. This is what the, the law of the land says. Sharif may not find the going that easy. Apart from grave threats from the Taliban, there is the basic question of a crumbling economy. His supporters say there is just one thing they want from him. Now in this mood of fervor and overwhelming support for a pro-India peace policy and also an invocation of what these people say used to be Muhammad Ali Jinnah's Pakistan. Observers say that the one thing Sharif may be able to deliver on is in fact economic, like the granting of an MFN status, most favored nation, to India because Pakistan needs the economic advantage. Back home in India, Manmohan Singh may not have the room for manoeuvrability either. The Prime Minister, who recently said it cannot be business as usual when two Indian soldiers were beheaded at the line of control, may not have the mandate or the appetite for risk that a trip to Pakistan would entail. So as Nawaz Sharif and Manmohan Singh try to restart their journey of peace, the speed breakers may yet warn them against driving too fast. In Lahore with Juhi Tyagi and Manoj Thakur, Barkhadat for NDTV. So already some are quipping about a new cross-border Punjab club, an era of chappi puppy diplomacy as we have two Prime Ministers uh, from Punjab, Prime Minister Manmohan Singh and uh, Mia Nawaz Sharif. Joining me tonight on this, given the perspective of Kargil, of course, uh, Prime Minister Sharif made the point that he will investigate and make sure that uh, nothing like Kargil ever happens again in his tenure. But joining me tonight, three men who actually uh, lived through that experience and saw what happened in close quarters. That's, of course, uh, former Foreign Minister Jaswant Singh, Foreign Minister at the time of Kargil. I'm also joined by General VP Malik, who was Army Chief at the time of Kargil. Dr. Karan Singh, Senior Congress Leader, uh, currently Member of External Affairs uh, Standing Committee, and, of course, uh, somebody who's headed their Congress Foreign Affairs cell as well. I'm also joined by someone who knows Pakistan in a different perspective, and that's our former Chief Election Commissioner, Dr. Qureshi, who was closely in touch with the Pakistan Election Commission and Really, that's been a huge success, the historic vote for democracy in Pakistan. But, uh, Mr. Jaswant Singh, if I may begin with you, sir, the BGP has already yes, slammed sir. the Prime Minister and said he's been too hasty in extending an invitation to Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif. They make the point that after what happened in the beheading of an Indian soldier at the LOC, what happened at Sarabjit, how are we suddenly back to business as usual? No, I'm afraid I have... Uh a different viewpoint. I am encouraged by what uh, Mia Nawaz Sharif has said when he says uh, that I'd really like to go back to 1999. And 99 was a period when uh, Shri Atul Bihari was endeavouring to really establish solid foundations of India-Pak relations. 
I know that incidents like beheading of soldiers, uh, prisoners being ill-treated, they are deeply disturbing. They stand on their own, they must be taken care of. But I, I as a representative of uh, Mr. Bajpayee's government of that period, I do stand by what Mr. Bajpayee then endeavored to do, and I am touched by what uh, Mia Saab said, that he would really like to relive that period. What you've actually said has gone completely against the BJP line because, of course, we've seen the Gujarat chief minister today attack India's uh, chicken biryani diplomacy, a reference to Salman Khrushchev's uh, meeting with the earlier Pakistan prime minister a few months ago, and the questioning today as well that how uh, the event. So you're going very strongly against the BJP line in a sense. I'm not going strongly against anyone's line, BJP or anyone. I'm really reaffirming what uh, Sri Bajpayee endeavoured to do, and I am uh, underscoring the need for India and Pakistan to find answers to the problems that bedevil this relationship. Dr. Uh, Dr. Singh, if I could bring you in here, what's interesting is how whenever a party is in opposition, and I remember the Congress party had attacked Mr. Bajpayee strongly at that time, especially uh, after Kargil Singh, look, this is what happened with the whole, uh, the whole Lahore bus, where did it take Atal Bihari Vajpayee, but except to Kargil. Yet we find that when the same parties in power and the Congress government now, this noises made are very different to Pakistan. So in that sense, is, is the only way forward really um, establishing a lasting peace with Pakistan? What would you say to all the hawks who said that India gets uh, almost uh, deluded by this uh, rhetoric of uh, various Pakistan leaders? No, I think it's very important to uh, remember that uh, a strong and abiding friendship between India and Pakistan would be a great boon to both countries and to the crores of people who live in these two countries. And therefore, I, for one, strongly uh, support initiatives and the government has supported initiatives over the last few years. As you know, uh, when General Musharraf was in power, he and Dr. Manmohan Singh were in touch with each other. They were back channels and uh, there was a good deal of progress made. And therefore, I think that first of all, let me congratulate the people of Pakistan for having had this uh, democratic uh, election. It is the first time, as you know, that there has been a democratic transfer of power from one popular government to another. And I think that's a very good sign because it shows that Pakistan democracy is coming back on the rails. And once it does that, the democratic process itself is going to push both the countries towards some kind of a detente. Let so me I think, in fact, that, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, Dr. Manmohan Singh's uh, invitation to Mia Saab was timely and graceful. So the, let me bring in now uh, from Pakistan. Uh, joining me now is uh, Senator Tariq Azim, who's actually the spokesperson for Mr. Nawaz Sharif's uh, party, former INB minister as well. Senator Azim, thank you very much uh, for joining me tonight. I had begun this discussion by saying that in India already many are calling this a jappi puppy diplomacy, saying two prime ministers from Punjab reaching out to each other. But on both sides, there's a great deal of skepticism that this invitation back and forth, because of course we know that uh, an Indian uh, prime minister's uh, visit to Pakistan has been scheduled for a long time, but has been called off for a variety of reasons, including what happened recently across the LOC. In that sense, how far can Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif really go in, in a breakthrough 
in Indo-Pak relations, especially given the events of the last few months? Well, these are momentous times in Pakistan. We have got the democracy back on the rails after five years of the last government. First time it's completed its term uh, in a democratic setup. We had the elections, by far the fairest elections that have been held here. And Myanmar Sharif has come back uh, with a thumping majority, a third-term prime minister, mm -hmm. which is unprecedented in Pakistan. So these are new beginnings in Pakistan. And I believe that we should also look at uh, India-Pakistan relations in a new light as well. Uh, let's have a new beginning. If we keep referring back to what happened in Kargil, what happened on the line of border, I mean, we can also go and claim and counterclaim and keep pointing fingers at you saying that, you know, also, you know, when Sarabjit Singh, I do not know the circumstances, mm -hmm. but as it's been claimed in Indian media that he had bad treatment here in Pakistan, we get back the body of Sanaullah from Srinagar. So, you know, if we can keep counting those uh, tragedies, I think our relations probably, uh, you know, will need a lot more time to get back to normal. Mm -hmm. We want uh, normality in relations. We want good relations with India. Um, Mia Nawaz Sharif has even today, I've just come from a press conference which was attended by a very large number of Indian friends and uh, when, she, when it was asked, you know, is he going to invite Manmohan Singh to his oath taking, he said, of course, certainly I will and I hope he comes. So he has reciprocated the sentiments which were uh, uh, yesterday conveyed to him by yes. Manmohan Singh Sahib. And I hope, you know, these sentiments and these uh, uh, at least uh, good intentions do materialize into good actions. Let me bring in uh, General uh, VP Malik because I, uh, I think the point that Senator Azim was making is saying, let's forget the past, that's what we need to do to move forward in Indo-Pak relations. But do you agree perhaps with that also what seems to be the wide swing in political statements where from the Prime Minister Manmohan Singh saying it can no longer be business as usual to extending a warm invitation to visit, we seem to swing from one extreme to the other. Do you feel there's a lack of consistency perhaps when we say that it's time to walk the talk? What does it actually mean? Sonia, I believe that uh, politics and strategy has to remain dynamic. Mm -hmm. It cannot remain static. And as far as the BJP line is concerned, let me just remind uh, BJP that after all uh, Atal Bihari Bajpai had uh, invited Parvez Musharraf for Agra talks uh, and he had done so much, uh, that was also soon after Kargil war. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, the wounds were quite fresh at that time. So, uh, I, I don't quite agree with the official line that has been taken by the BJP. Now, as far as relationship is concerned, I think politically and economically, uh, Nawaz Sharif has no alternative. As far as Kargil is concerned, he has made a statement that he is going to hold a commission of inquiry which is, a, which is a good thing because such revelations uh, I think will improve relations, military to military relations uh, in the, uh, and the political relations with each other. And um, I do believe that although he knew about what is going to happen, uh, what was happening in Kargil, but uh, I think um, he was uh, not told properly, uh, there were obfuscation, and uh, in any case, he was not told the implication of what Parvez Musharraf was up to. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see, the main thing here is the relationship that uh, Nawaz Sharif manages to have with Pakistan military. 
you know it everybody knows it that the uh, policy towards india policy towards afghanistan is not quite auton autonomous with the uh, prime minister of pakistan it is controlled more by pakistan army so it all depends on the kind of relationship that uh, nawaz sharif has with pakistan army chief i think he's already lit a fire as far as uh, his relationship with pakistan army is concerned by saying that he will have pakistan army under his control and he will uh, also like to uh, visit india and uh, for all you know manmohan singh statement may have added a little um, fuel to that fire Let me so actually... let's see how the relationship develops between pakistan prime minister and uh, the pakistan army Musharraf Zaidi, a political analyst, if I can bring you in there on that point. Uh, Nawaz Sharif has already lit a fire because the, that statement, again in an interview, uh, to an Indian interviewer, saying that as far as the constitution goes, the army reports to the prime minister. How is that being seen, plus this whole bonhomie between India and Pakistan? Well, uh, I think whatever fire Nawaz Sharif may have lit seems to have been uh, burning things in India because... Uh, there's no fire here. The constitution of Pakistan is very clear. The elected prime minister of Pakistan is in charge of pretty much every executive function, and therefore the chief of army staff and all the subordinate offices of the military are under the command of the prime minister of Pakistan. So th that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, obviously, we've had a very difficult history with the military repeatedly taking over power, and therefore the, there is there is a there is a uh, uh, there is a struggle, and uh, the struggle is that our democratic institutions need to be empowered, and a lot of that empowering is up to the institutions themselves. Mm -hmm. And once they are, then uh, the letter of the law will be, uh, there'll be less distance between reality and, and what it says in the Constitution. So I think, you know, what he stated is, is plain fact, and that's the way it should be, and that's the way it increasingly is in Pakistan. I want to bring in Dr. Qureshi, our former Chief Election Commissioner, on a completely different aspect. And that, of course, uh, Dr. Qureshi, is the historic nature of these elections. The first time there's really been a democratic process of transfer that uh, one elected government has handed over to another. Now, you've had a series of meetings with uh, Pakistan election officials. We've already seen some questions being raised by Imran Khan of the PTI, who's been uh, tweeting away from his hospital bed. There have been some isolated protests on these elections, uh, some of them being rigged. What's your perspective on the historic nature of these elections and the impact it will have also on Indo-Pak ties in a sense. I think the election in Pakistan were held in a very uh, difficult circumstances and uh, they have been held very competently, very transparently. Um, we have had many interactions in the last three years, uh, at least six or two, eight meetings we had with the uh, Chief Election Commissioner of uh, Pakistan with us. And we knew that they were very professional, they were very they, they concerned about uh, holding good election. We uh, realized that they have as many powers as we have, their constitution has empowered them as much as uh, ours has uh, given to us. On top of that, the fact that the chief election, in fact all the, the entire commission consists of uh, Supreme Court judges and, uh, and High Court judges. Mm -hmm. Probably they have uh, more credibility uh, uh, being part of the judiciary. And the determination of uh, Justice Ibrahim and before him of Justice Mirza was very clear that they wanted to do good, uh, good election. They discussed our system uh, in great detail uh, repeatedly. 
and they took uh, the, lots of uh, interest in uh, at least two things. One was our uh, electronic voting machine, and they were very keen to introduce those. Uh, but somehow it, uh, it takes time for political consensus. They were also interested in our uh, the voter education program, mm -hmm. and probably the, that has paid off because 60% uh, turnout is very, very historic, very good. Mm -hmm. I think the uh, elections have been very fair, free and fair. But you know, the, uh, after the election, uh, the comments are made uh, complaining of rigging here and there. But the fact that 50 repos were ordered, I presume that the, this must have been in those cases where the complaints were, were made. Normally, our experience is that uh, if uh, rigging is taking place, if we get the complaints on the same day when the yes. elections are happening, uh, they uh, make a lot of sense. But after the event, when the, the results have been declared, uh, two days later to talk of rigging, well, that uh, somehow uh, is quite normal, but it doesn't have the same credibility. Right. Let me just bring in uh, Mr. Jaswan Singh back to some uh, two or three key points that have been raised in the debate yes. so far. One, of course, uh, Mr. Singh is on the whole issue of uh, Kargil, and I think General VP Malik made that point, and that Indian intelligence agencies had also pointed out earlier that it isn't entirely true to say that Mr. Nawaz Sharif did not know anything about Kargil, that telephone intercepts between General Musharraf uh, at that point and another key commander had implied that Nawaz Sharif did know some of what was happening. Others, of course, and that's in Strobe Talbot's book, had pointed out that when Mr. Nawaz Sharif flew to America to meet uh, then-President Clinton, how at that time he was not aware of how far the military had actually gone in terms of discussing possible nuclear options. So in that sense, a prime minister who was very worried about how to save his government as well was not in the loop of what the military was doing. How will this Nawaz Sharif be different? Well, I don't know how he will be different. We must accept uh, as a reality that India-Pakistan relations are given to frequent fractures. That's in the nature of uh, this relationship. We need to increase the bone density of our relationship. And the only way in which to do this is to engage with one another. Of course, Kargil was a misadventure that Pakistan engaged in and had paid a price for it. I do know, because uh, during the process of meeting the challenge of Kargil, we realized that the Prime Minister perhaps was pushed into the whole affair by fact, by, by events. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is not possible that uh, the then Chief of Army Staff, General Musharraf, kept the entire entire cabinet in the dark, but he must have informed the Prime Minister that there is an engagement with Pakistan on the heights of, uh, with India, on the heights of Kargil, mm -hmm. and that we shall be dealing with them, and we will, mm, we will come out better than India will. The nuclear aspect came in, it was not at all in India's uh, calculations, in fact, we had gone to the extent of uh, Prime Minister Bajpai had issued very strict instructions, mm -hmm. including to the Air Force, of course to the Army, that we were not to breach the line of control. That, and we had, uh, we were very clear in our mind that the whole game would be spoiled if uh, it became internationalized. We wanted to limit it to be a bilateral matter between India and Pakistan. And we wanted to regain all the heights, which I must say, 
and I, I don't say it because General Malik is part of it, that one of the classic infantry battles that were fought that ought to be studied uh, for gener by generations to come, how classically Indian infantry took each of those weeks one after another. I recollect very little, if you yes. give me a moment to share this, uh, Kissinger having come, um, and he called on me, I met him in the office, and he asked me, Jaswant, uh, do you think you'll be able to retake those heights? I found it a rather patronizing question. I did not wish then give him a lecture about the capacity uh, and the courage of the Indian infantry, but I did tell him, uh, don't worry, Henry, uh, when this is over, we shall, we shall show you what the Indian infantry is capable of. No, After it was over, yeah, sorry. No, okay. it's also, I said, no, that, I think uh, that bit perhaps uh, true General uh, Malik, of course, will vouch for that. I just want to take out that political aspect of what you said. And Senator Azim, if you could come in on that, the Indian perception has always been and uh, borne out, as we said, by telephone intercepts and Mr. Jaswan Singh also saying there that it's impossible that the Prime Minister was not in the know at all. But the feeling that the Prime Minister, despite uh, words and stressing what the Constitution lays down, as Musharraf Zaidi pointed out, that's fact, but the problem is in the implementation and the practice. How will Mr. Nawaz Sharif be able to, in a sense, regain independence from army generals and also the worry, as many would have said, that he's been supported by uh, jihadi groups, how will he actually, when he talks about uh, new ties with Pakistan, uh, with India, how will these two key elements be resolved, in a sense, even for him? The two different things altogether. Yes, One of is course. a military but both civilian big relationship. For India. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, military uh, civilian relationship, which is of course uh, um, worry within Pakistan itself. We had uh, army takeovers before, mm -hmm. and uh, we don't want repetition of that. The very fact that the Pakistanis have given uh, Nawaz Sharif a thumping majority in the uh, in the elections just uh, completed uh, shows that he has been very clear about the relationship with the army. He has said the army, obviously, as per the constitution, um, falls under the uh, under the prime minister and the general, whosoever is in charge, uh, will report to him and uh, will do as, as is planned and as is directed by the, by the par by parliament and by the cabinet. Uh, so he has made it very clear and by people voting for him in such large numbers have endorsed that view. And that, but uh, as far as uh, your other comment is concerned that uh, he is supported by jihadis, I think that is uh, absolutely not correct. Yes, to be religious is one thing, but uh, uh, we don't have any truck with any organization which has got any hint of terrorism. Uh, we have suffered most at the hands of these terrorists. Only the other day our president in Balochistan, his son, his brother and his nephew were killed by, by these very terrorist groups. So to expect us to have any truck with them, I think will be wrong. We, we will deal with them, you know, as sternly and, uh, of course, we're staying within the law. Uh, we'll deal with them. We may need uh, um, extra legislation. We may need to have to bring in uh, maybe witness protection program. Yes. Uh, so certain things that we need to do because we choose when we arrest them, when they go to the court, sometimes they get scot-free again. This is well, something that we need to look at. Senator Zim, because of course uh, Mr. Nawaz Sharif also said, I assure India that uh, a 26-11-like adventure will never happen again. Yet for India, one of the sore points has of course been the lack of action as we see it against uh, the JUDs, Hafiz Saeed, who roams free 
is nawaz sharif is your party going to uh, relook at any possible action against uh, men seen as those behind 2611 Hafiz Said, um, as you probably would recall, has been arrested twice, and again twice he has been freed by the courts. Of course, there is a there are laws of the land which we have to adhere to, unless there are people who come forward and give solid evidence which is admissible by law. Uh, we can't do anything. Uh, that is the problem. And if Hafiz Said just goes around making speeches, which sometimes India does not like. Uh, I mean, there is freedom of speech in Pakistan. So long he does not involve himself in, in some sort of terrorist activities, it's very difficult to pin down whether it's Hafiz Said or anybody else. Dr. Karan Singh, uh, th these are the kind of uh, statements or the questions that the BJP would often ask, especially as I said, Mr. Modi's reference, uh, Sushma Swaraj is also this point of this whole chicken biryani diplomacy. And in that sense, many have said that Prime Minister Manmohan Singh personally has a great desire to see as one of his legacies. a better relationship with pakistan but that's not a sentiment entirely shared by many within the party itself in fact even just on the hafiz side issue we know former home minister mr chidambaram differed very strongly from what many saw as a softer line by the prime minister on pakistan regarding this no i think the prime minister's desire for better relations with pakistan are shared by all right thinking people in the party and in the country we must realize Uh, sonia that uh, the world is changing very rapidly and if we continue with our uh, <clears throat> our mutual antagonism we are going to be left behind if the europeans can get over their antagonism france and germany were at each other's throats for a thousand years and yet today you go to europe you do not know where france ends and germany begins unless we also move sark also moves towards the european union type of uh, relationship we are never going to be able to catch up and we'll be wasting our energies against each other and we'll be left far behind by other countries in the region and in the world so the prime minister's desire for better relations with pakistan is not only a personal desire it is a desire frankly that i share but is also i think a desire in the broader national interest Musharraf Zaidi how realistic is that desire and how realistic is it from uh, Mia Nawaz Sharif's uh, side as well given of course and uh, your article today pointed that the priorities of the Nawaz Sharif government are not really diplomacy with India what how much do you think this is really uh, going to be a key issue in the months ahead or will uh, Mia Sharif actually be grappling with much more domestic problems Well I didn't actually say that uh, the relationship with India is not a priority I simply didn't put it among the top 3 priorities over the next 6 weeks or so because uh, we have a budget I mean the first uh, the first thing he has to do is form a government immediately after forming a government his government needs to pass a budget both at the federal level at the center as you say in India and in the provinces or or at the state level uh, so those are the first two priorities and then the third priority is uh, Pakistan's own coherence in terms of how it deals with the triple threat of extremism terrorism and insurgency and in doing so uh what i said in the, in the piece was that a clear and comprehensive confident statement about what we want to do moving forward will give confidence to the rest of the world now i didn't include india in that because of a limitation of space but mm -hmm. certainly uh I, i'm i'm sure that uh, there are enough sincere people in india both in government in politics and in the media who will see 
uh, things that Pakistan does in the true light that they're being done in. And so, for example, what uh, MMS, uh, Manmohan Singh, Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister Singh, and uh, the, the sort of future Prime Minister, uh, Nawaz Sharif, have done in the last 48 hours is that they've changed the tone. Uh, and so already, for example, I'm, I'm keen not to engage in a tit-for-tat back and forth with our Indian friends. Mm -hmm. And the, the previous speaker, you know, just momentarily, you know, spoke uh, exactly in the same way, that there are a lot of problems. We have a lot of things that we complain about. You have a lot of things in India that you complain about. Uh, both are legitimate. And so instead of constantly continuing to complain, let's find the, the areas of common ground and move forward on those whilst we... Uh, create more trust and confidence between us. And once that trust and confidence exists, then inshallah, I'm very confident that we'll also be able to address some of the more prickly issues, some of the more difficult, long-standing issues. You mentioned, of course, the whole Punjab connection as well. So that's, do you think that adds an extra dimension to this uh, relationship or the warmth of the last 48 hours? Absolutely. I think that, uh, the, you know, uh, for, for many, many years, uh, you know, we haven't seen this kind of a uh, potential connection between uh, between Indians and Pakistanis. In fact, there was a picture in the paper uh, either today or yesterday of uh, people in India, um, in, in Indian Punjab, uh, celebrating and sending messages of uh, congratulations to Nawaz Sharif. So I think that, you know, if that helps play a positive role, as long as it doesn't make, uh, you know, uh, our friend, our... our Bengali friends and our uh, Tam Bram friends in India, and as long as it doesn't make our Baloch and Pakhtun friends in Pakistan uh, too jealous, then I think it's perfectly legitimate for two, uh, two sort of heads of government uh, that happen to share uh, a culture to use that as a way of, becoming, uh, of coming closer and helping solve the common problems that both countries face and, uh, and that both countries' people face. General Malik, you want to come in because we know the Prime Minister's Punjab Club has created a lot of controversy back here. Do you th are you more optimistic for this Punjab Club? Look, I'm not getting into this Punjab versus Punjab battle. But uh, what I wanted to say was that, you know, something that we will all be looking forward to is how the Prime Minister takes control of the ISI. You remember one of the Prime Minister had tried to place the ISI under his control and he failed within 40, 24 hours or so, it went back under the control of the army. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very important institution which needs to be controlled by the civil authority. So we will all be looking forward to that. Uh, again, that is going to impact the civil military relations in Pakistan. Senator Azim, uh, final words really. I I know that now both sides, uh, both Prime Ministers have invited each other, but of course uh, many Pakistani analysts pointing to the fact that a visit by the Indian Prime Minister is long overdue. Would you look at this as a key confidence-building measure before, in a sense, uh, the relationship can move forward in any meaningful way? Do you think it's important for Prime Minister Manmohan Singh to actually visit soon or to set a date? I think you know, he'll be most welcome in Pakistan and that will be the way forward. Uh, the last 48 hours have been a good start. Uh, both Prime Ministers have been, uh, potential Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif and uh, uh, <laughs> Sahib has been talk have been talking to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good start, you know, and if we keep looking back and keep pointing fingers at each other, I think, you know, we will not get anywhere. Um, let's, let's have some CBMs like the one we had in the last 48 hours. And uh, that should augur well for the future. 
Dr. Qureshi, uh, just talking about CBMs and in that sense, the election process and the whole track to diplomacy, the other institutions of India and Pakistan being in touch beyond the politicians. How important do you think that is moving forward? And let's again look at the fact that whenever, suppose another instance happens, a tragic instance like what happened at Sarabjit or an incident over uh, across the border, how, what needs to be the impact into Pak relations? Because immediately we see a certain level of uh, jingoism coming up saying that India must react, India must take strong action. And that's really where the confusion lies, is that we swing from the pendulum extreme, swing so deeply, how do we actually assess in a reasonable way the way forward? I think the foremost requirement is a, a strong democracy. The fact that the, here is a popularly elected prime minister has the backing of a majority of uh, Pakistanis. Uh, the, that is the first uh, the condition for confidence building. And uh, I think we have been talking about going back, uh, but if we have to go back, let's go back to 1999, when uh, uh, Vajpayee made a historic visit to Lahore mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, rebuild from there. I think the, that will uh, may lead to uh, good relations because I think there is a very keen desire in Pakistan to establish a, a friendly and peaceful relations with India. Mr. Jaswan Singh, you of course have a Pakistan, uh, your book also on uh, Jinnah had created some controversy in the BJP. So to ask you more your view as a member of the Vajpayee government, as you put it, do you think the time is right for Prime Minister Manmohan Singh to visit Pakistan? And also given the fact that unlike Pakistan, which just had a newly elected Prime Minister, this government will face elections uh, uh, the maximum within the next one year, or if not earlier. In that sense, would Pakistan, how far can this government really go in creating a breakthrough with Pakistan in terms of uh, diplomacy or in terms of what it can offer? So you must accept and realize that there are many obstacles on the path of a healthy and a, and a productive relationship between India and Pakistan. I'm not in a position to advise Dr. Manmohan Singh as to when and how he should go to Pakistan. But the relationship between India and Pakistan have to be normal. It's for the sake of the entire the South Asian subcontinent that they have to be normal. May I remind you that when we had set out, or on the eve of the Lahore bus journey, had occurred Chhatri Singhpura. May I also remind you that we were on our way to Lahore, yet another incident had taken place. There will be elements that try and destabilize the whole effort at bringing normalcy uh, in the relationship between these two countries. It requires great patience. It requires great stamina. It requires uh, large and far-seeing statesmanship on behalf of the political leadership to do this. I think India and Pakistan both have to get out of the shadows and entrapments of history and look to the look to where we are today and how if we continue to squabble with each other we shall certainly condemn uh, the citizens that inhabit our two countries mm -hmm. to a life of penury and misery uh, and poverty uh, i think the i think the demand for peace the constituency of peace must expand and for that uh, People will have to stand up and get counted that we stand for peace. Uh, it is for Prime Minister Dr. Manmohan Singh.
to judge the timing of his visit, that is a small question. Uh, but that we must have such visits between our two countries is uh, self-evident. Uh, I do not wish to go into an examination, mm -hmm. except by citing just one example, which is after the parliament had been attacked, after Kargil, after Kandahar, Mr. Bajpai was going to Sridhar, uh, and he had called Mr. Advani and I to lunch to ask uh, what should I say in Sridhar. And Advani ji had also said that I think we need to invite General Musharraf to India. And he had gone in Sridhar, and that memorable speech in which Mr. Bajpai had said, Insaniyat ke liye, and we invited General Musharraf uh, to Agra. All these things had preceded Agra. We yes. could not have, we did not have invited Jal Musharraf. Mm -hmm. After all, he had unseated an elected prime minister. But we did it because we believed, I still continue to believe, that peace and enmity between Pakistan and India is of utmost importance to this entire region. Now, what else can I say? Dr. Karan Singh, if I could bring you on that, because often for political statesmanship, many would have compared Prime Minister Manmohan Singh to Atul Bihari Vajpayee and said, do we need a gesture like that? But others would also point perhaps to the quality of opposition in both cases. And again, when we have statements made by a colleague of Mr. Jaswan Singh's that for every one soldier of ours, we will bring back ten heads of the Pakistanis. Isn't it a fact that given the political climate today, it's hard to talk of peace? In fact, it's increasingly difficult. No, I think we must talk of peace. Even if it is hard, more and more people must talk of peace. Because we don't want to leave our children and our grandchildren a legacy of disaster. As far as Dr. Manmohan Singh's visit is concerned, that, as you know, sorry, Sonia, just to rephrase that slightly, sir, does, does the UPA sometimes confuse peace with weakness? Because the allegation, of course, is that a weak policy in dealing with Pakistan. Uh, I don't think so. I think in order to talk peace, you've got to be strong. Uh, that's what Gandhiji always said, if you remember. That if you want to talk to your opponent, it's, a, it's out of strength, out of, not necessarily military strength, but psychological strength and political strength. Now, Dr. Manmohan Singh's visit that uh, you were talking about, a lot of preparation and groundwork has to go in before a visit becomes really meaningful. As you know, just a cosmetic visit with a lot of headlines and then if nothing happens, there is a sudden drop in, in, in psychology and in, in emotions. So I think the stage has to be set for the visit. As you know, this government has only one uh, more year in power until it gets re-elected, hopefully. And uh, so I think we shouldn't rush the visit immediately. Uh, invitations have gone out on both sides. Let us wait and see how the situation develops in the next few months. There are all sorts of imponderables uh, in this equation. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we can take a decision. But a visit should certainly be there on both sides. Well, thank you all very much for joining this evening. As I said, it's uh, wonderful to get so many different perspectives from people who are really part of key decisions, uh, part of Indian history with Pakistan as we look at creating a new future. Thank you all very much for joining me tonight. Let's just move now to the other big story we're looking at this evening. Section 66A of the IT Act is back, and again this time, it's been used for a politician. 
a civil liberties activist in Andhra Pradesh has been arrested on Sunday, sent to jail for 12 days by a court, apparently because she used objection language against a Congress MLA. Though she is charged with this, she has applied for bail and apparently has got it. But the big worry, however, is the extreme overreaction because her comments were personal. They may well have been objectionable. That's still, of course, a matter of debate. But there was no larger threat to communal harmony or any issue of the sort. Why is there this overreaction every time it involves a politician, even though the center had claimed to put safeguards in place? Joining me tonight on that is Sudha Ramalingam of, uh, from Chennai. She's a senior advocate, also an activist of the People's Union for Civil Liberties, which Jaya belongs to. I'm also joined by Abid Rasul Khan of the Congress, from Andhra Pradesh, spokesperson of the party, and Kabir Bedi, well-known actor and, of course, online activist as well. But let's just look first at that story and why this woman was arrested and is spending the night in jail tonight. Jaya Vindyala, president of the Andhra Pradesh unit of PUCL, or the People's Union for Civil Liberties, was arrested on Sunday afternoon for alleged defamatory comments on a social networking site against Congress MLA from Chirala in Prakasam district, A. Krishna Mohan. The MLA had complained to the police on the 18th of April. The question being asked even by those who do not support the comments made by Jaya Vindyala is whether the same kind of promptness would have been shown by the Prakasam district police to come all the way from Prakasam district to Sikandrabad to arrest the activist on a Sunday afternoon if the complaint had not been made by a powerful politician. <laughs> Leader of opposition Chandrababu Naidu says the arrest is a reflection of misuse of power by the ruling Congress leaders. For small cases, big cases, if you go through these, they are not taking any action. He is very, very, they are misusing power like anything. We totally condemn the attitude of the government. The case highlights the grey area of 66A from the misogynist abuse in Kerala where 120 people were questioned for harassing a Congress leader who defended PJ Kurian, to the repressive crackdown by cops on the Palgar girls for merely questioning Mumbai shutdown after Thakre's death, to the Puducherry businessman who was held for an offensive tweet against Chidambaram's son, when it comes to the controversial IT Act, do the cops always jump the gun? In Hyderabad, Uma Sudhir, NDTV. This, of course, in the Supreme Court had also taken up this matter. Uh, Sudha Ramalingam, if you can come in, what would you say about this? Uma raised some important points. The policeman coming from Prakasam district to Sikandrabad to arrest her on a Sunday afternoon when there's no chance of getting immediate bail. She's got bail today but has to spend another night in jail because of formalities. What would you term this arrest? I will turn, call it as atrocious simply and also it shows how the state has become so narrow-minded, oppressive and also cannot take criticism at all. People in public life will have to be ready to face public criticism too. Whether what she said was right or wrong, but to arrest this woman is definitely wrong and it is beyond also what the Supreme Court says. Supreme Court guidelines very clearly state bail and not jail should be the rule. And what was the necessity and the urgency to arrest a woman who is an advocate and a very responsible person who is also a president of the very a national organization, People's Union for Civil Liberties. She is not going to run away and she is a practicing advocate. She has already also filed a red petition telling the court that 
that she apprehends such a uh, repressive act against her by the state and this the court has already ordered notice to the state I think so where was the question of arresting her at all i think in fact uh, mr khan i'll come back to you. i want kabir be this view on that i think the point uh, sudhaji raised very importantly the act by the state it's seen here that attacking assembly let me say again that uh, it may be true it may not be true it may even be objectionable it may be defamatory but why don't simple laws of defamation apply to this it's not against communal harmony it's not against the state why is it that the power of the state has come down and that's the larger message which we should worry about go ahead mr bedi uh sonia as far as i'm concerned every single time there's a law that's vaguely worded or capable of misuse it will be misused by people as well as the police and by anyone wanting to seek any kind of revenge vendetta etc now the problem here is that section 66a has lumped together a number of things now some of those things should be criminalized some really should not uh under 66a if i send anything that you consider offensive i could go to jail for up to 3 years forget offensive anything that causes annoyance inconvenience um anything i deem insulting so you know freedoms aren't absolute i mean people even in the real world do not have the freedom to shout fire in a crowded film theater um so there are some restrictions on that but that restriction has to do with larger public safety larger public good and a larger public interest this particular definition lumps together everything from threats and criminal intimidation mm -hmm. which should be taken care of to anything that i find annoying or insulting etc the result is i can be imprisoned for calling somebody an idiot in the same way as if i threatened to kill them and this kind of law and misapplication law is wide open if the law is worded so vaguely that it can be applied against anyone in any situation depending on how the receiver of this mail uh perceives it so my basic point is the laws on the internet that we formulate should be the same as the laws on the ground no. why don't people sue for libel mm -hmm. rather than using 66a to 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 imprison a, an advocate over a weekend i mean I it's really a great example of the misuse that can happen with law when 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 the law itself is worded so badly that it opens itself to such abuse in fact ironically mr abid rasul khan if you can come in here you are from andhra pradesh as well we know that the center had said that there's no need to actually amend this law they say they would put in safeguards into place it would have to be in arrest by a dcp would have to clear it or or an ig clear it what's happened in this case she may have said something offensive again against this mla but surely it was not something which justified this kind of arrest and basically the information i have uh, on this uh, particular issue which i could gather sonia is that uh, there was something written about the governor of uh, tamil nadu his excellency rosia ji and this particular mla and there is there is a sort of uh, difference of opinion between these two people going on for months together which culminated in his filing a complaint when it became very personal now as far as pucl is concerned as and i know they have been doing good work for the oppressed and depressed so there is no way that uh, the government will try to victimize an organization but in this particular case uh, the mla has filed a complaint on 184 after that i think the police have collected the evidence it's about it's become personal it's about what she's saying against this mla whatever it may be i do, i don't want to repeat it or whatever yeah. whatever it may be yeah. he can file for defamation 
He can. Why does she have to be arrested on when, a Sunday when, afternoon? Yeah, she I, spent two nights I, in jail for saying something personal about know, this person. I, uh, Even if she said it against the governor, two nights in jail already. Sonia, when uh, there is a law available, the person who is filing a complaint will only file a complaint. He will not file a complaint against under this act or that act. He will just say what's happening and where he is being aggrieved and what is going wrong against him and how it is. And after that, the police is the right authority or the law is the court is the right authority to put the particular sections in place. In this case, as uh, Mr. Kabir Bedi was saying, that 66A has a very wide ramifications and parameters which cannot be judged because I was also reading through the law. And everything which is written or uh, basically... Uh, if it is slightly abusive or slightly uh, hurting anybody, it can be treated as an act under this uh, particular law and their cases can be booked. So there should be a wider debate on this law and definitely, as Mr. Kapil Sibal had told earlier, that we need to discuss it and get parameter. Uh, no, there, there was uh, actually a wide debate, sir. In the center assured after the Facebook incident, the Palghar girls, the center assured yeah. something that this wouldn't happen again. In that sense, Sudhar Amalingam, this incident is even more serious because you made that point, it tracks someone who is a senior leader of an organization like PUCL, the message it sends out. The irony I wanted to ask is in police response because I know PUCL will often go to cases, cases of police inaction, police ignoring complaints, police not registering FIRs and the contrast with how the police has acted here. Do you find that the most ironic? Yes, definitely it is ironic. I would like to say that Section 66A itself is a very, very subjective uh, act, you know, provision. You know, if the person perceives it to be uh, um, harmful or uh, defamatory or anything else, uh, they can uh, move the um, state for action. And the action would be very drastic. It provides for non-bailable uh, offence and also a cognizable offence. So what happens is the state is given wide powers with a subjective subject. So what happens is if the state is going to be vindictive or if it wants to help a person, a complainant, so immediately they can use this as a repressive measure. And I am definite PUCL is now thinking about also challenging this provision in the Supreme Court. Uh, it is a very long drawn process. But having said that, I think the state should also have its own uh, um, norms set to ensure that these fundamental rights of uh, freedom of expression and also that of assembly which is being curtailed day to day is uh, put in place and they have a set norm which they would not trespass on and ensure that these rights are being protected. Exactly, the sense of Deshmukh is exactly what they were meant to have in place. This is what Kapil Sibyl assured us that they would be in place. Let's see if the telecom minister actually <coughs> intervenes now and hopefully she will be out on bail tomorrow. But thank you all very much for joining us tonight. A quick discussion on a very important topic. We will keep following the story, but we're completely out of time. Thanks very much. Coming up next, We the People. <laughs>